This is a special world report with a friend of Medjugorje. And of course, today is the day that we do Mesonomics. The last three Mesonomics were turned into world reports. And again today, we're bringing to you a special world report. The pace of what's happening in the world, how it's coming out, is reflected in the message in regards to what I was telling us to be ready. Listen to me. And if the world listens to her, you'll understand how grave and how big things are when they happen, instead of let it pass you by. What happened September 24th, 2019, was a world report, literally a world report, in front of the United Nations. All the nations of the earth, good, bad, communist, socialist, democracies, republics, everything, President Donald Trump addressed the United Nations. And it is an amazing address, so much so We want to play most of the whole speech. He wasn't putting a lot of fire into it. He was just laying out the facts. And I'm telling you, you need to listen to this more than one time, more than two times, because there's so many things you will hear in it. And what you'll recognize in this is that Our Lady put this man there. He is the man of the hour for the nations on the physical realm of what has been mandated by the spiritual realm. There were different actors put in place and positions and offices or whatever that position they held that was not by chance. Trump is not the president of the United States by chance. Impossible. When he addresses the times that we're in, the signs of the times, you think somebody's going to be president just by chance? No, Obama wasn't there by chance. We needed Obama for four years, and we needed Obama for another four years, because you don't fix a leaking faucet. McCain, I've talked about this before, if he became president, we would be gradually declining. Leaking faucet. Obama was a broken pipe. He isolated us. He rejected the right path of morals and brought many immoralities and bad decisions that caused us to react, that we could then put somebody in office that would be just as strong the opposite way. And I'm telling you, every day that comes up, we see more. Our Lady has orchestrated the people in the physical realm of what she's planning and what Our Lady said to us and revealed to us in the first monthly message, God has a great plan for the salvation of the world. And you think these things are just going to happen? You think he's the wrong president to be there? You think Obama was the wrong president to be there? No way. McCain would be our end. Obama was radical. And we need the antithesis of Obama. And we got it. And he addressed the whole world. And if we ever put a world report, this speech that you're going to hear is one that he addresses all the nations of the world. And I can tell you, this man was teaching them, not with fire and brimstone, but by the facts. And it's an amazing things that he said. All those ambassadors sitting there, representing every nation on earth, cannot sit there 
even if they're socialists or whatever they are, opposite of what Trump is conveying with that saying, this man's right. I experienced that about the messages when I talked to people. When I wrote the book, How to Change Your Husband, I knew we would get resistance. And people did. They called said, take me off your mail list. For every one that took off the mail list, we got 20 new people. But we asked those people, why do you want off the mail list? Because we knew what was happening in that period. It was because How to Change Your Husband. And they said, well, I don't like the book, How to Change Your Husband. Well, what is your objection? They would never, not one time, tell us the objections because they had no arguments. The book is complete. It asks questions, and it answers the questions. It asks another question and answers it. This speech of Trump's asks a question through the statement and answers it. And nobody sitting there could counter Trump because it's facts, it's reason, it's logic, it's truth. He starts off, he says, I stand here before you where saints and rebels have stood for many nations. So he preps where he's standing. He's addressing the whole world. Trump says, quote, this is the world's biggest stage. And he went to theatrics. Again, I want to be repetitive. It's not monotone, but he's just laying out the facts which are convicted. He starts off with saying, we built the largest, the strongest military in the history world with a budget of $1 trillion. It's the strongest on earth. And he goes on and starts talking about our beloved country, the United States of America. And he doesn't apologize. He says, you have to do the same. Then he condemns and denounces something that's very important. He says, you love your nation the same way. And he says, the pride of the future does not belong to globalists. That's a condemnation. He says, if you want freedom, take pride in your own country. If you want this for your country, you hold on to your own sovereignty. And this is the principle that he's teaching us. This goes for your family. You have sovereign over your children, your home, your land. You've read about what I've written about the king of England. Would dare not step across the threshold of the lowest peasant without asking the father can he have permission to come in? That's what we've lost as sovereignty. And we've given over to governments and to bad people. And that's where we are. And the sovereignty of centralization is the Antichrist. Trump says wise leaders always put the interests of the country first. He says, if you want peace, love your country. I want to give you the exact quote, he says, that you'll hear in a few minutes. He said, the future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. The future belongs to sovereignty and independent nations. Trump is teaching all the nations a perfect biblical and given an outline in the speech. This should be a speech we should be hearing from homilies, from our spiritual leaders of the world. Trump has more and more vision for the nations of the world and his people then our church leaders, except for the like of people like Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Sarah, and a few small numbers of others. So we have Donald Trump condemning globalism. And I'll tell you, the greatest tool they have is global climate change, which they want to implement to enslave the whole world. That's what this is about. It's nothing about the climate. They know that. You don't know that. You say, well, I don't believe in it. Then why aren't you fighting it? You have to start fighting. 
we're about to implement something of a list of about 700 people who want to be very active when we initiate programs. And we're entering into that plus with our extended community to go to the schools, do things, stand up, no more sitting down. Trump in the speech even uses tax cuts to show the nations the example that happened in the United States while we're flourishing right now and for them to do it to their own nation. I'm telling you, those people cannot be listening to Trump without being convicted. Trump goes so far that he becomes religious, a theologian, if you might want to say. He says, quote, globalism has exerted a religious pull over past leaders, causing them to ignore their own national interests. We just came back from Greece, being at Patmos, last night. And our guide that we have, he had told me before on previous trips to Patmos, that China has taken over Greece. And they did. They mortgaged things real cheap. They gave 10000 against $200,000 apartments or houses, whatever. It's kind of complicated. I'm simplifying this so you understand it. But when Greece a few years crashed, they didn't have that much they owed to the bank, but they had no money to pay back, so they took their houses. Four or five houses or people have their generations where they had the income. 8,000 people. They lost the homes, the way of life. And China is dumping in Greece right now trailers of cars. I saw them pass the bus yesterday when we passed the port. And again, Trump will address this. You might say, why is this so important? Because Satan is in the details. Maybe something's totally secular, but you have to put that secular detail underneath the microscope to understand the messages, how when you look through there, you see the germs. So he goes on about what's happened, what we see in Greece and Italy and other countries, that China has done these things and taken over economies instead of our warriors. They're doing it through economics. That's how the Antichrist will rise up. So Trump says, as far as America is concerned, those days are over. Trump is declaring war. It's an amazing thing how he says it, because he's negotiating with China, with the terrorists right now, but at the same time, I'm declaring war. He's going to break the legs of China without breaking them. In other words, he's going to bring them to the knees. Instead of guns, he's going to do it in a peaceful way. He's going to choke them through restrictions and tariffs to bring them to the knees. This guy is amazing. He is implementing peace to the world by strangling those nations who before could never be straightened out without conquering them or with conflict. And you'll hear Trump also add to that, that the United States does not seek conflict. We seek mutual gain. I'm telling you what you'll hear is what the Pope should be saying, the cardinals, the church, but they have all this. You know what else he can name? Social justice. He says social justice is no justice. Trump completely contradicts what the Catholic Church and the Pulpus have been promoted for years. And I've been saying the same thing. I call it socialist justice. What are we supposed to have? Biblical justice. We don't teach that in the church because we let socialism and communism influence. South America, that's the problem in Venezuela. It's liberation theology. You have to read to understand these things. So we have Trump coming up saying we're the strongest nation in the world and our military in the history of the world, and we're seeking peace, even with our enemies, and we don't even seek to retaliate. Iran shot down one of our major drones in international airspace. The military gave him the options, 
And he could have killed a bunch of people over it. He said, I don't want to do that because it's going to kill too many people. So he's choking down Iran. You'll hear Trump say bloodlust about the leaders of Iran. And then he says this, for 40 years, if you remember when they took the hostages out of our embassies, they haven't stopped since that time. Nobody has checked them, but Trump is checking them. So he will refer how these people and the leaders, how they lash out at everyone else of problems that they cause themselves. They just did more chaos in the Middle East. And how is Trump going to react? He's going to choke them down to the knees to beg to deal with us. I hear more strength, more facts about how to bring about peace in the world than I hear from the Vatican. And he covers every subject. He's going to protect all religious leaders because there's so much threat to them. So this speech is a total, complete lesson to all the nations as I already referred to, you think Trump is here as president without a lady grooming this man for decades to address the world in the physical realm to realize what our lady has planned in the spiritual realm. And what he just says at the end, God bless the nations of the world. And then he adds to that one thing because he's not going to leave it out. And God bless America. This president just asked for a blessing from God the Father to bless all the nations of the earth. Thank you very much, Mr. President, Mr. Secretary General, distinguished delegates, ambassadors, and world leaders. Seven decades of history have passed through this hall in all of their richness and drama. Where I stand, the world has heard from presidents and premiers at the height of the Cold War. We have seen the foundation of nations. We have seen the ringleaders of revolution. We have beheld saints who inspired us with hope rebels who stirred us with passion, and heroes who emboldened us with courage. All here to share plans, proposals, visions, and ideas on the world's biggest stage. Like those who met us before, our time is one of great contests, high stakes, and clear choices. The essential divide that runs all around the world and throughout history is once again thrown into stark relief. It is the divide between those whose thirst for control deludes them into thinking they are destined to rule over others, and those people and nations who want only to rule themselves. I have the immense privilege of addressing you today as the elected leader of a nation that prizes liberty, independence, and self-government above all. The United States, after having spent over two and a half trillion dollars since my election to completely rebuild our great military, is also by far the world's most powerful nation. 
Hopefully, it will never have to use this power. Americans know that in a world where others seek conquest and domination, our nation must be strong in wealth, in might, and in spirit. That is why the United States vigorously defends the traditions and customs that have made us who we are. Like my beloved country, each nation represented in this hall has a cherished history, culture, and heritage that is worth defending and celebrating, and which gives us our singular potential and strength. The free world must embrace its national foundations. It must not attempt to erase them or replace them. Looking around and all over this large, magnificent planet, the truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. And if you want peace, love your nation. Wise leaders always put the good of their own people and their own country first. The future does not belong to globalists. The future belongs to patriots. The future belongs to sovereign and independent nations who protect their citizens, respect their neighbors, and honor the differences that make each country special and unique. It is why we in the United States have embarked on an exciting program of national renewal. In everything we do, we are focused on empowering the dreams and aspirations of our citizens. Thanks to our pro-growth economic policies, our domestic unemployment rate reached its lowest level in over half a century. Fueled by massive tax cuts and regulations cuts, jobs are being produced at a historic rate. Six million Americans have been added to the employment rolls in under three years. Last month, African American, Hispanic American, and Asian American unemployment reached their lowest rates ever recorded. We are marshaling our nation's vast energy abundance, and the United States is now the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world. Wages are rising, incomes are soaring, and 2.5 million Americans have been lifted out of poverty in less than three years. As we rebuild the unrivaled might of the American military, we are also revitalizing our alliances by making it very clear that all of our partners are expected to pay their fair share of the tremendous defense burden which the United States has borne in the past. At the center of our vision for national renewal is an ambitious campaign to reform international trade. For decades, the international trading system 
has been easily exploited by nations acting in very bad faith. As jobs were outsourced, a small handful grew wealthy at the expense of the middle class. In America, the result was 4.2 million lost manufacturing jobs and $15 trillion in trade deficits over the last quarter century. The United States is now taking that decisive action to end this grave economic injustice. Our goal is simple. We want balanced trade that is both fair and reciprocal. We have worked closely with our partners in Mexico and Canada to replace NAFTA with the brand new and hopefully bipartisan U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Tomorrow, I will join Prime Minister Abe of Japan to continue our progress in finalizing a terrific new trade deal. As the United Kingdom makes preparations to exit the European Union, I have made clear that we stand ready to complete an exceptional new trade agreement with the UK that will bring tremendous benefits to both of our countries. We are working closely with Prime Minister Boris Johnson on a magnificent new trade deal. The most important difference in America's new approach on trade concerns our relationship with China. In 2001, China was admitted to the World Trade Organization. Our leaders then argued that this decision would compel China to liberalize its economy and strengthen protections to provide things that were unacceptable to us and for private property and for the rule of law. Two decades later, this theory has been tested and proven completely wrong. Not only has China declined to adopt promised reforms, it has embraced an economic model dependent on massive market barriers, heavy state subsidies, currency manipulation, product dumping, forced technology transfers, and the theft of intellectual property, and also trade secrets on a grand scale. As just one example, I recently met the CEO of a terrific American company, Micron Technology, at the White House. Micron produces memory chips used in countless electronics. To advance the Chinese government's five-year economic plan, a company owned by the Chinese state allegedly stole Micron's designs, valued at up to $8.7 billion. Soon, the Chinese company obtains patents for nearly an identical product, and Micron was banned from selling its own goods in China. But we are seeking justice. The United States lost 60,000 factories after China entered the WTO. This is happening to other countries all over the globe. The World Trade Organization needs drastic change. 
the second largest economy in the world should not be permitted to declare itself a developing country in order to game the system at others' expense. For years, these abuses were tolerated, ignored, or even encouraged. Globalism exerted a religious pull over past leaders, causing them to ignore their own national interests. But as far as America is concerned, those days are over. To confront these unfair practices, I placed massive tariffs on more than $500 billion worth of Chinese-made goods. Already, as a result of these tariffs, supply chains are relocating back to America and to other nations, and billions of dollars are being paid to our Treasury. The American people are absolutely committed to restoring balance to our relationship with China. Hopefully, we can reach an agreement that will be beneficial for both countries. But as I have made very clear, I will not accept a bad deal for the American people. As we endeavor to stabilize our relationship, we're also carefully monitoring the situation in Hong Kong. The world fully expects that the Chinese government will honor its binding treaty made with the British and registered with the United Nations in which China commits to protect Hong Kong's freedom, legal system, and democratic ways of life. How China chooses to handle the situation will say a great deal about its role in the world in the future. We are all counting on President Xi as a great leader. The United States does not seek conflict with any other nation. We desire peace, cooperation, and mutual gain with all. But I will never fail to defend America's interests. One of the greatest security threats facing peace-loving nations today is the repressive regime in Iran. The regime's record of death and destruction is well known to us all. Not only is Iran the world's number one state sponsor of terrorism, but Iran's leaders are fueling the tragic wars in both Syria and Yemen. At the same time, the regime is squandering the nation's wealth and future in a fanatical quest for nuclear weapons and the means to deliver them. We must never allow this to happen, to stop Iran's path to nuclear weapons and missiles. I withdrew the United States from the terrible Iran nuclear deal, which has very little time remaining, did not allow inspection of important sites, and did not cover ballistic missiles. Following our withdrawal, we have implemented severe economic sanctions on the country. Hoping to free itself from sanctions, the regime has escalated its violent and unprovoked aggression. In response to Iran's recent attack on Saudi Arabian oil facilities, we just imposed the highest level of sanctions on Iran's central bank 
and sovereign wealth fund. All nations have a duty to act. No responsible government should subsidize Iran's bloodlust. As long as Iran's menacing behavior continues, sanctions will not be lifted. They will be tightened. Iran's leaders will have turned a proud nation into just another cautionary tale of what happens when a ruling class abandons its people and embarks on a crusade for personal power and riches. For 40 years, the world has listened to Iran's rulers as they lash out at everyone else for the problems they alone have created. They conduct ritual chants of death to America and traffic in monstrous anti-Semitism. Last year, the country's supreme leader stated Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible, and it will happen. America will never tolerate such anti-Semitic hate. Fanatics have long used hatred of Israel to distract from their own failures. Thankfully, there is a growing recognition in the wider Middle East that the countries of the region share common interests in battling extremism and unleashing economic opportunity. That is why it is so important to have full, normalized relations between Israel and its neighbors. Only a relationship built on common interests, mutual respect, and religious tolerance can forge a better future. Iran citizens deserve a government that cares about reducing poverty, ending corruption, and increasing jobs, not stealing their money to fund and massacre abroad and at home. After four decades of failure, it is time for Iran's leaders to step forward and to stop threatening other countries and focus on building up their own country. It is time for Iran's leaders to finally put the Iranian people first. America is ready to embrace friendship with all who genuinely seek peace and respect. Many of America's closest friends today were once our greatest foes. The United States has never believed in permanent enemies. We want partners, not adversaries. America knows that while anyone can make war, only the most courageous can choose peace. For this same reason, we have pursued bold diplomacy on the Korean Peninsula. I have told Kim Jong-un what I truly believe, that like Iran, his country is full of tremendous untapped potential, but that to realize that promise, North Korea must denuclearize. Around the world, our message is clear. America's goal is lasting. America's goal is harmony. And America's goal is not to go with these endless wars.
wars that never end. With that goal in mind, my administration is also pursuing the hope of a brighter future in Afghanistan. Unfortunately, the Taliban has chosen to continue their savage attacks. We will continue to work with our coalition of Afghan partners to stamp out terrorism, and we will never stop working to make peace a reality. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are joining with our partners to ensure stability and opportunity all across the region. In that mission, one of our most critical challenges is illegal immigration, which undermines prosperity, rips apart societies, and empowers ruthless criminal cartels. Mass illegal migration is unfair, unsafe, and unsustainable for everyone involved. The sending countries and the depleted countries, and they become depleted very fast, but their youth is not taken care of, and human capital goes to waste. The receiving countries are overburdened with more migrants than they can responsibly accept, and the migrants themselves are exploited, assaulted, and abused by vicious coyotes. Yet here in the United States and around the world, there is a growing cottage industry of radical activists and non-governmental organizations that promote human smuggling. These groups encourage illegal migration and demand erasure of national borders. Today, I have a message for those open border activists who cloak themselves in the rhetoric of social justice. Your policies are not just. Your policies are cruel and evil. You are empowering criminal organizations that prey on innocent men, women, and children. You put your own false sense of virtue before the lives, well-being, and countless innocent people. When you undermine border security, you are undermining human rights and human dignity. Many of the countries here today are coping with the challenges of uncontrolled migration. Each of you has the absolute right to protect your borders. And so, of course, does our country. Today, we must resolve to work together to end human smuggling, end human trafficking, and put these criminal networks out of business for good. To our country, I can tell you sincerely, we are working closely with our friends in the region, including Mexico, Canada, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and Panama, to uphold the integrity of borders and ensure safety and prosperity for our people. I would like to thank President Lopez Obrador of Mexico for the great cooperation we are receiving and for right now putting 27,000 troops on our southern border. Mexico is showing us great respect, and I respect them in return. The U.S. 
We have taken very unprecedented action to stop the flow of illegal immigration. To anyone conducting crossings of our border illegally, please hear these words. Do not pay the smugglers. Do not pay the coyotes. Do not put yourself in danger. Do not put your children in danger. Because if you make it here, you will not be allowed in. You will be promptly returned home. You will not be released into our country. As long as I am President of the United States, we will enforce our laws and protect our borders. For all of the countries of the Western Hemisphere, our goal is to help people invest in the bright futures of their own nation. Our region is full of such incredible promise, dreams waiting to be built, and national destinies for all. And they are waiting also to be pursued. Throughout the hemisphere, there are millions of hardworking, patriotic young people eager to build, innovate, and achieve. But these nations cannot reach their potential if a generation of youth abandon their homes in search of a life elsewhere. We want every nation in our region to flourish and its people to thrive in freedom and peace. In that mission, we are also committed to supporting those people in the Western Hemisphere who live under brutal oppression, such as those in Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. According to a recent report from the UN Human Rights Council, women in Venezuela stand in line for 10 hours a day waiting for food. Over 15,000 people have been detained as political prisoners. Modern-day death squads are carrying out thousands of extrajudicial killings. The dictator Maduro is a Cuban puppet protected by Cuban bodyguards, hiding from his own people, while Cuba plunders Venezuela's oil wealth to sustain its own corrupt communist rule. Since I last spoke in this hall, the United States and our partners have built a historic coalition of 55 countries that recognize the legitimate government of Venezuela. To the Venezuelans trapped in this nightmare, please know that all of America is united behind you. The United States has vast quantities of humanitarian aid ready and waiting to be delivered. We're watching the Venezuela situation very closely. We await the day when democracy will be restored, when Venezuela will be free, and when liberty will prevail throughout this hemisphere. One of the most serious challenges our countries face is the specter of socialism. It's the wrecker of nations and destroyer of societies. Events in Venezuela remind us all that socialism and communism are not about justice. They are not about equality. They are not about lifting up the poor. And they are certainly not about good of the nation. 
Socialism and communism are about one thing only, power for the ruling class. Today, I repeat a message for the world that I have delivered at home. America will never be a socialist country. In the last century, socialism and communism killed 100 million people. Sadly, as we see in Venezuela, the death toll continues in this country. These totalitarian ideologies combined with modern technology have the power to excise new and disturbing forms of suppression and domination. For this reason, the United States is taking steps to better screen foreign technology and investments and to protect our data and our security. We urge every nation present to do the same. Freedom and democracy must be constantly guarded and protected, both abroad and from within. We must always be skeptical of those who want conformity and control. Even in free nations, we see alarming signs and new challenges to liberty. A small number of social media platforms are acquiring immense power over what we can see and over what we are allowed to say. A permanent political class is openly disdainful, dismissive and defiant of the will of the people. A faceless bureaucracy operates in secret and weakens democratic rule. Media and academic institutions push flat-out assaults on our histories, traditions, and values. In the United States, my administration has made clear to social media companies that we will uphold the right of free speech. A free society cannot allow social media giants to silence the voices of the people. And a free people must never, ever be enlisted in the cause of silencing, coercing, canceling, or blacklisting their own neighbors. As we defend American values, we affirm the right of all people to live in dignity. Yesterday, I was also pleased to host leaders for a discussion about an ironclad American commitment protecting religious leaders and also protecting religious freedom. This fundamental right is under growing threat around the world. Hard to believe, but 80% of the world's population lives in countries where religious liberty is in significant danger or even completely outlawed. Americans will never fire or tire in our effort to defend and promote freedom of worship and religion. We want and support religious liberty for all. Americans will also never tire of defending innocent life. We are aware that many United Nations projects have attempted to assert a global right to taxpayer-funded abortion on demand. 
right up until the moment of delivery. Global bureaucrats have absolutely no business attacking the sovereignty of nations that wish to protect innocent life. Like many nations here today, we in America believe that every child, born and unborn, is a sacred gift from God. There is no circumstance under which the United States will allow international entries to trample on the rights of our citizens, including the right to self-defense. That is why this year I announced that we will never ratify the U.N. Arms Trade Treaty, which would threaten the liberties of law-abiding American citizens. The United States will always uphold our constitutional right to keep and bear arms. We will always uphold our Second Amendment. The core rights and values America defends today were inscribed in America's founding documents. Our nation's founders understood that there will always be those who believe they are entitled to wield power and control over others. Tyranny advances under many names and many theories, but it always comes down to the desire for domination. It protects not the interests of many, but the privilege of few. Our founders gave us a system designed to restrain this dangerous impulse. They chose to entrust American power to those most invested in the fate of our nation, a proud and fiercely independent people. The true good of a nation can only be pursued by those who love it, by citizens who are rooted in its history, who are nourished by its culture, committed to its values, attached to its people, and who know that its future is theirs to build or theirs to lose. Patriots see a nation and its destiny in ways no one else can. Liberty is only preserved. Sovereignty is only secured. Democracy is only sustained. Greatness is only realized by the will and devotion of patriots. In their spirit is found the strength to resist oppression, the inspiration to forge legacy, the goodwill to seek friendship, and the bravery to reach for peace. Love of our nations makes the world better for all nations. So to all the leaders here today, join us in the most fulfilling mission a person could have, the most profound contribution anyone can make. Lift up your nations, cherish your culture, honor your histories, treasure your citizens, make your country strong and prosperous and righteous, honor the dignity of your people, and nothing will be outside of your reach. When our nations are greater, the future will be brighter, our people will be happier, and our partnerships will be stronger. With God's help, together we will cast off the enemies of liberty and overcome the oppressors of dignity. We will set new standards of living and reach new heights of human achievement. 
We will rediscover old truths, unravel old mysteries, and make thrilling new breakthroughs. And we will find more beautiful friendship and more harmony among nations than ever before. My fellow leaders, the path to peace and progress and freedom and justice and a better world for all humanity begins at home. Thank you. God bless you. God bless the nations of the world. And God bless America. Thank you very much. And so we're hearing President Trump speak about the United Nations and globalization and all of these things. And it's interesting because a friend of Medjugorje said it's not important to know the king. It's important to know the king's subjects. And something which a friend of Medjugorje has known for years is that our role here at Caritas is to influence people by changing the way they think. About 13 years ago, a friend of Medjugorje wrote the book, Look What Happened While You Were Sleeping. Just to reiterate this book, this was the very first book that took the messages of Medjugorje and broke it open into secular content. He wrote about a lot of things, global education. He wrote about Agenda 21, population control, global warming, education, a whole range of subjects. One of the subjects he spoke about, which nobody credible was really speaking about, was nationalism. Now, this was the very first time that someone who was credible was taking all of these subjects and putting them together in a context for simple people to understand. And nobody at the time was speaking about nationalism and global warming in this way or global education. All of these topics were not spoken about in the way that he broke them open to the public. After that period of time, we saw a slew of books written about the Founding Fathers, about patriotism, about so many things that we knew were influenced by the book Look What Happened While You Were Sleeping, and thereby influenced by the messages through what a friend of Medjugorje was saying. Just recently, we heard from someone in the Medjugorje world who gave what was being viewed by some as a startling announcement, and that was that Our Lady's apparitions and the secrets coincide with 40 years. Now, of course, when we heard that, it was kind of amusing because this is what a friend of Medjugorje has been speaking about. And there are writings that go back as far as the early 90s, the late 80s and the early 90s, when a friend of Medjugorje is speaking about 40 years of apparitions. And so this was something that had already been formed in his thought that nobody was speaking about. Of course, now it's easy to see when you're in the midst of an event Now it's easy to see, after so many things have happened, the 40 years of apparitions, but 25 years ago, 30 years ago, that was not an easy thing to see. So we want you to take these words from Look What Happened While You Were Sleeping, which a friend of Medjugorje wrote, and understand them in their prophetic context because of what you just heard President Trump just say. This is from chapter 10 of the book, Look What Happened While You Were Sleeping. Back in 1949, when the United Nations Education, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, met for their first major project, they created a series of training sessions that they entitled Toward World Understanding. The contents would teach teachers how and what to teach concerning the UN's objectives towards conditioning world-mindedness. 
In training session five, the following was the advice given to teachers. It is sufficient to note that it is most frequently in the family that the children are infected with nationalism. This may be more ridiculous than dangerous, but it must nonetheless be regarded as the complete negation of world-mindedness. We shall presently recognize in nationalism the major obstacle to the development of world-mindedness. As long as the child breathes the poisoned air of nationalism, education and world-mindedness can produce only rather precarious results. The word nationalism was obviously penned very schemingly to confuse the reader, that to be patriotic and have love for one's country is the same as being for something like Hitler's Nazism, or is an error equivalent to being for slavery. Therefore, nationalism must be removed from the people. They purposely, though latently, equate nationalism to patriotism and love of country, then clearly indicate that it is a sin against world-mindedness. World-mindedness is necessary to establish world-governing. Socialistic ideology is being promoted in preschool, grade school, high school, and college classrooms throughout every state in our country. As is already happening, these students, your children, will grow older, fill jobs, and adapt positions to world-mindedness. Nationalism means the sense of national consciousness exalting one nation above all others and placing primary emphasis on promotion of its culture and interests as opposed to those of other nations or supranational groups. Notice the above definition from a modern dictionary states the word supranational groups. This clearly refers to the ultimate supranational group, the United Nations. In turn, patriotism, as defined in Webster's 1828 dictionary, means love of one's country, the passion which aims to serve one's country, either in defending it from invasion or protecting its rights and maintaining its laws and institutions in vigor and purity. Patriotism is the characteristic of a good citizen, the noblest passion that animates a man in the character of citizen. Nationalism was not even a word in the 1828 American Dictionary of the English Language. Its meaning as a word today had to be conceived as a negativism to usher in the new positive word, world-mindedness. Nationalism, patriotism is out, and world-mindedness is in. Again, change or invent words and their meanings, and then change society. The nationalism definition makes patriotism negative because it makes victims of other nations or of supranational groups. This is clear evidence of how we are being conditioned to accept that the United States should not be positioned above the United Nations in our loyalty, defense, or protection of our laws. This is not a gray area or interpretive. Plans are clear to erase not only America's sovereignty, but the sovereignty of other nations as well. These plans were implemented beginning with the UN 1949 objectives for the training of teachers 
to turn young hearts away from the love of their nation through UNESCO's program Toward World Understanding. And so what you just heard was from the 10th chapter of the book, Look What Happened While You Were Sleeping. So now coming back to you, you're, you're there in the studio in Medjugorje. We just want to ask you, 13 years ago, knowing that this was already things that had been formed in your heart already, and then hearing what President Trump said at the United Nations a few days ago, what do you think is happening right now in the spiritual realm, the heaven, hell, on the earth, this realm that's happening right now? What do you think is manifesting with President Trump right now? Trump is laying out in the physical realm what is mandated by the spiritual realm, by and through Our Lady's apparitions and messages for a century apiece. He is a major instrument. And if you don't see it, you object, shake the dust from our sandals. It's very clear. It's unmistakable. Trump refers over and over with democracies because they are democracies. Ours is a republic. I don't agree with the democracies because I've told you before why, because they're the worst form of government that our forefathers taught us that. And there is the pressures and something that was also imperfect in the talk was about bottom lifestyles. We edited that out because I don't agree with that. But the pressure and the lobby to get these things in there, or even from some of his children, may compromise. There has to be an intolerance of that. Not killing people because of it, but there has to be intolerance to people running red lights because it's going to kill people. And there has to be an intolerance of this lifestyle of abomination because it destroys people for eternal. So we can't have that tolerance. Other than that, it's still an A speech. And for you who are in Medjugorje that you write to us every now and then, which is not a lot, and you write and say he's a liar, he's this, he's that. You don't recognize God's chosen. Matthew, the tax collector, Mary Madeline, the woman of the streets, and the list goes on and on. If you don't see who this man is, if you're not praying for this man, you're off frequency. It's just that clear. So choose the sides you want to go in. Because there's two parties, both imperfect, but every man in the world is imperfect. But then you have one party that's totally demonic. You have another comprised of sinners, which we all are, which would be the Republicans. But their platform and their direction is what we have to change things with. I'm not happy with all of them. But the truth is coming from that side. On the other side, it's lying voices. Listen to this speech again. It's not a one-time listening. Because it will form you and help you to fight. We wish you Our Lady. We love you. Goodbye.